as I said, there is a lot here. And so I'm going to just encourage you right now to a couple of thoughts. And that is without going too much into the history of the letter, I would encourage you to do that. It is widely understood that this letter was circulated amongst the seven churches. Some even believe that it was actually not written to Ephesus at the start, but actually to the Laodicean church. But anyway, uh, we'll leave that to one side. But nonetheless, there's a real sense of consensus that it was written to the Ephesian church. And I want to encourage you that there's a lot of similarities that we can learn and glean from even in, a, in this particular passage of chapter one. It sets the scene for us. And there is almost, it's virtually impossible to read Ephesians chapter one and not be stirred in your spirit. You know what I mean? I'm just, it is just an amazing chapter. The whole book is phenomenal. It is amazing. But chapter one, as you will see, if you're feeling a little flat right now, you're feeling a little bewildered, a little beyond everything that's happening and going on in our world and you've watched the news and you're like, oh Lord, come back. Uh, just read Ephesians chapter one. And just wait on, on the Lord and just see what happens because your spirit will lift. Your heart, your demeanour will change because it is a powerful, powerful book of the greatness and the goodness of God towards each and every one of us. So if you are feeling a little discouraged, if you're feeling a little bewildered, as I said, a little time-pressed, whatever it is, I encourage you to uh, look at chapter one. Can I, I ask you to do something over the next number of weeks, weeks, days, months? Read Ephesians, six chapters. Read it six times. Aren't you glad it's not chapter, you know, chapter 30 or something? But read it six times. Just just absorb it. Just take it in and, and ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to my life and my family? What are you saying to me, my heart? What does that look like? And, uh, and wait for him to speak to you on that. Well, there is a lot here. Why is Paul writing this letter? Well, there's a couple of ideas about this, but generally he wasn't addressing any concerns or problems with the church. And normally that would be the reason you would write. They say when you speak into to, to issues, there's two times you should do that, when there's no issues and when there are issues. Well, there's no issues, but Paul was wanting to encourage the believers to commit to the journey of spiritual maturity. This is what he opens our eyes up to. But there is a sense that he's asking as it gets circulated, this letter, that it would help them even to work as churches with one another, but also to prevent any problems from arising. And we learn a lot of that in chapter four of Ephesians with the ascension gifting, really articulating how it should work, what it looks like, what it is. So Ephesians will lift your heart, your spirit and your faith. Okay, we're gonna just go through a few verses here right now. The covering of Ephesians is ascend and it means to uh, move in a forward, upward motion. And so that's the goal. I pray that as you read this book, as we journey together, that you would be encouraged to, to go a little further in, in all that God is calling you to do. Spurgeon said, divine things are usually better seen by the heart than by understanding. And so there's a sense where you can see the slides and you can see different things, but what you will know is that it's gotta be seen within the heart. Open your eyes of my heart, Lord, you know, the song and the scripture. 
We talked last week a little bit about grace and the peace and we were singing about that this morning. And it's, I think today is International Happy Day or Happiness Day. It's interesting. Harmony Day, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Was the, is that really the colour? No. Oh, are you just messing with me? Oh, you had me there. I'm extremely gullible. I get that from my daughter, Ashley. Anyway, I'm glad she's not here to hear that. She may hear that. Okay, guys, so that's not blue. Do we know what colour it is? That's your homework for the week. <laughs> for tricking me, no. So we learn a lot about the grace and the peace uh, of God Almighty. And it's an amazing place to understand. You've got to realise that the world is offering a counterfeit peace. If I was to give you $20 or $100 or $1,000 and you gave me the same in return, mine was genuine and yours was counterfeit, I'm going to feel pretty ripped off. The Bible teaches us that the, the peace that God offers is genuine. It's the real article. But the world the peace offers, it's counterfeit. It's, it, it looks like it, it, it'll satisfy, it looks like, but it doesn't really hold up to what it's promising. Only that can be found in Jesus. I'm not going to go to, I, I will read from verse three. Here we go, just reading a few verses. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If that's not highlighted in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so because there's a lot of weight behind that particular verse. It says in verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight to the praise of his glorious grace which is freely given to each one he loves. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, in whom you were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything uh, in all conformity to the will of his, uh, to the purpose of his will, pardon me, in order that we uh, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, being the Jewish people, uh, would be the praises of glory. And you now were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. This is what it is. The gospel of your salvation, that is what it is, that's what happens. When you believe, you are marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We're going to read on. Verse 15. For this purpose, ever since I heard of the faith your faith, sorry, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Just see praises welling up with Paul. Remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glory inheritance in uh, his holy people. And his incomparable great power to us who believe, that power is the same as his mighty strength. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, there's a lot of scripture there and there is a lot. We're going to try and unpack some of this this today but I encourage you to read through this. But these are some of the things that I just started to glean from when we look at this. In verses 13 to 14, it is said that it is the longest single verse in the Bible. In fact, there's two parts to this chapter and we just read the second part then. It's almost like it's two verses and this thing is a story that just unravels. But this is what we get to discover, that we are chosen, adopted, there is redemption, there is forgiveness of sins. There won't be in that slide there. There's the riches of his grace, the wisdom and understanding, the measure, sorry, the mystery of his good, pleasing and pleasure of will, uh, bringing unity under all things uh, in order to put our hope in Christ. We've received the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. You are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, depositing, guaranteeing our inheritance. Well, we're gonna start with predestination. In verse 5, for he has adopted us, it says, he predestined us uh, for sonship through Jesus Christ in the accordance with his pleasure and will. Oops, pardon me, that just went very, very zoomed in. Uh, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to each one he loves. This is amazing. We could spend, and there's a lot of debate on this, and I'm going to show you a few things really uh, briefly and trying to get our head around this. This is, I, I sense there's a mystery about this as well. Everybody in this room will come from one persuasion or of another when it comes to understanding predestination, God foreknowing, his foreknowledge and predestination, including his election. So we'll stand on different maybe sides when we come to our personal understanding of this particular thought. And we don't want to get into the arguments here and right now about what that is and what that looks like. But what we do know is this, that what we believe determines our behaviour. And we'll have a look at that in a few moments. And that's the key that we need to understand again and again. And Paul is reminding the church, the churches, his people, God's people, that how God has been involved before the creation of the world. Predestined means to define, it means to mark out, to set apart, speaks of an horizon. God's purpose with those whom he has chosen, it speaks into that. God chooses, we did not choose God, he chose us first. It refers to those who are being saved. Some would, would say that predestined speaks to those who are not saved. No, God doesn't, Scripture doesn't teach that. I believe it teaches that it speaks to those who are saved and never to the unsaved person by way of who he has chosen. His choosing is not based on our choosing. 
In other words, God is in the past, the present, and the future. In other words, he's in eternity. And we can't get this. I was speaking to someone uh, last weekend about this, and they go, oh, it just gives me a headache thinking about it. How do we get our head around this? Well, we, we're, so we're born into time. Being born, we're born into a time sequence and we live and we're patterned to function according to time and months and days and minutes and seconds. But God is not. And he chose us before time. He chose you. He called you out of his good purpose because of his mercy, because he is kind. His, his kindness leads us to repentance. He chooses because he can simply choose. Now, I'm going to just go out to a couple of slides there. I love what D.R. Moody said, that whoever, just go back one slide, just back where you were there, that was great. Uh, John, just back one slide, if you can go back. That's it. D.R. Moody said this, whoever so wills are the elect, and whoever so wants are the non-elect. Well, that's pretty easy. Yeah, that settles all the arguments, doesn't it? Uh, have a look at this adoption, taking place of an adult son, a joint heir. This is a powerful terminology, a powerful understanding at this time that kings and servants are equal before God in the sense of being adopted. The divine act of God that grants us authority to be called children of God. Why? To the praise of his glorious name. So God simply chose people out of his goodness and kindness. Let's just go a little bit further to this. Let's go to the next slide. We won't spend too much on this because of time and there's lots of words here. But obviously we, we think in terms of Calvinism and obviously God's sovereignty and Arminianism as God's, I'm sorry, man's responsibility. And so we're all thinking and living under, some, some, under these two headings. Uh, Calvinism speaks of total depravity. Man is a sinner. Man cannot help himself respond to the gospel. He is dead to sin. We need a sovereign move of God. I think we agree with that. Look at limited depravity. The opposite is weakness is inherited, partial depravity. God grants the individual special grace, removes the effects of the fall and allows a person to make their choice and free will. And we go on. We're not going to read through all these because it's going to take forever. But you've got unconditional election grace, conditional. Let's go to the next slide, please. We continue going. Limited atonement, unlimited. Irresistible grace. God's saving work in someone cannot be resisted, but that such grace will result in salvation. In other words, you have no choice. Resistible grace is God is unable to bring someone to salvation who is unwilling to be saved. God's prevalent grace makes us aware of our depravity and need for salvation. And they've got the perseverance of the saints and eternal security. All of us in this room, whether we know it or not, come under somewhere in this. And there are others, but these are the main two we call the, like the fathers of theology. Well, some may agree with that. But anyway, that's, that's how it is, and they use the tulip. You can see some of the people who come under this, and I, I have a lot of these articles and books that I read from both sides, and, uh, and that's probably the key. Uh, who are, who are to say these are fallible men who've come up with some great ideas to understand doctrine, to interpret and understand doctrine, and good on them, and thank you for it. But we need to determine and not say that what they say is the end and be all of it. 
And you'll see there uh, different people uh, on the side of Calvinism. You'll see Spurgeon and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones, people I love and I listen to and respect, Packer, uh, Swindle, Sproul, uh, MacArthur, Junior, uh, Ke- uh, Calvin, Knox, all them. And also on this side, Wesley's and the Wesley's, Finney's, Moody, Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Rick Warren, and you can just keep going on. Have a look at the next slide. I like this. This is, this is end all the arguments right here. You know, I'm starting to feel like it's meant for me to deck you. Oh yeah, well, whatever you choose to do, buddy. Okay, I know some of you don't get this. This is a Calvinist and an Arminian squaring off, okay? So one saying that I've got no choice and what I do, it is already set out. It is fate, it is predestined, it is, this is what they're, they're thinking. He's going, oh yeah, whatever you choose to do. So this is the argument. Am I choosing free will to make these decisions or am they already preordained what I'm saying and what I'm doing? The other one says, I like the shirt you chose out of your own free will. Your hairstyle looks good, maybe uh, meant to be. Shall I say predestined? And we go on. And it's interesting, the article, the cartoon says, one's called owl and one's called cow, reflecting the two theories of belief. What we do know is this, that God in his word says that he sent Jesus to die for the whole world. It meant a little tribe, but it meant the whole world. I believe it meant the whole world. But we have a human responsibility, but God chose in us. But what we're going to get, where we get confused is we think that God, because we're in time, God saw what we were going to choose when we heard of the message. And so by that we are chosen. No. Glennis mentioned the verse yesterday, uh, last week in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Otherwise, we could boast. Thank you, Lord. You saw that I was going to choose you. Praise me. No, it's by grace through faith. God's work, not that we can boast. It is His work in us. And this sometimes can be reflected in churches simply why? Because uh, some people say, well, it's the whosoever's. And so God will make it really clear who they are. Well, I think that we need to be careful with that particular argument because I believe that we should reach all people and we leave the results with God. But our commission is to go and make disciples and that means share the good news, take the gospel to the four corners of the earth so to speak, and do and fulfill our role in that. What happens after that? As a new Christian, I learned when I was sharing my faith with others in evangelism, I learned very quickly that you can talk to one person very receptive, the next person wants to poke you in the eye, okay? I get that. But I walk away not carrying that. I just walk away going, I did what God wanted me to do. I was faithful in that moment. Whatever happens, happens. But the Bible says, and it says again and again, how shall they be saved? How shall they hear if no one tells them the message? Why do we have WEC? Why do we have these ministries and and organisations set up, Christian organisations set up? Because we believe that the gospel is for everyone, for all people. And that should be our mission. Otherwise, why do we have an alpha? Why do we, we meet? Is church just for us? It's never about us. God always has this grandiose picture of just gathering people, getting them. He said, go to the highway and byways. 
going to the alleys and dark places, find them, tell them about me, says Jesus. Tell them about me. So we go on and we're gonna read just a few verses here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to his riches of God's grace. I've had to skim over that. I apologise, I'd like to spend more time on that, but that's something I encourage you to look up and, and to further research and get an understanding about that. I'm called to reach all people, but what happens and what they decide to do, we need to trust God with that. I like what it says in 1 Peter and 2 Thessalonians, just on that, it says, if you are saved today, it's not because you are good, but because you are not good. Remember, he has chosen us. The Father has predestined us. I think that's an amazing message. And you may have redemption, the blessing of redemption through the blood. The Old Testament sacrifices points towards the ultimate God-man sacrifice, redemption coming through Jesus Christ. This is why it's an amazing book full of richness and depth and it helps us to know who we are. If you're struggling with who you are, struggling with life, struggling with ideas, this is the book to read. This chapter will encourage you. It speaks not only of redemption, but forgiveness. We are redeemed through His blood, and he made peace in Colossians 1.20. It says, we are justified by his blood in Romans, Ephesians 2.13 and made near by the blood, Ephesians 2.13. The Bible says that he will remember our sins no more. In Jeremiah 31.34 says, the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This redemption brought by the sacrifice is not just about regaining something through a purchase, but it speaks of a deliverance, a divine act of God's power. Power, not price, is the key. He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made us known this mystery of his will, this mystery pertaining to things even now, this mystery of understanding, how can God do this? How does God become man and flesh and blood and dwell amongst us? How does God even do that? What sort of God would choose to do that? So it's an amazing chapter. He has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Well, we're still growing in that, aren't we? He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purchased in Christ. The mystery. In verse 10 it says, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. And that will happen. All things on heaven and earth will be regathered under the headship of Jesus. And don't you know it, the enemy knows this. And we get to see what's happening and playing out even today and the challenges that are out there, that there's a real sense of something is being activated, something is being stirred in the church, but in the world as well, getting a sense that there's timing with this. All things in heaven and earth, in whom you were chosen, verse 11. Again, reminding us that you were chosen. When you have to say it a few times, there's a, there's, there's a reason for that. It's when you understand who you are, you were chosen. You did not choose you. God chose you. 
And again, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to his purpose and will. This is the greatest news we've ever heard. This is amazing. That God is working in me. That God saw me and he chose me. Why did he choose me? Why did he choose you? Simply because he could. Simply because he can. And it says, according to his good pleasure. And that's why we need to be humble. Sometimes the people out there in the world think that we're all just a bunch of stuck up, you know, righteous doers. <laughs> I was trying to think of the word there. It was polite. Sometimes we've come across that we just disconnect, we don't understand. And I've got it all together. I'm saved. I'm okay. I've got my ticket. Sometimes that comes across. I don't know so much here, but it certainly has in my experience. And one of the things to help us to get to that, stop us from getting to that place is, is the want to witness. When we share our faith with others, it is a privilege and an honour that's so humbling because we hear what's happening in people's world. We hear their challenges and their battles. We see it and it humbles us. And I think that's the model that Jesus presented to us. He humbled himself and took on the form and he showed us that's the example that we need to reach our world. It was decreed by the counsel and will of God that we would be made partakers of an inheritance. When we look at the word plan, it's very interesting here in the Greek. We've read it in a couple of places. It speaks about household management. And it could even mean of office steward. And for those who really like governance, and all those sorts of things, it actually includes the actual working out of a policy or a project. So this is God. He had a policy, he had a project on his heart to set in order to see these things come to fruition. In verse 12, in order that we may who? Are the first put our hope in Christ. Might be the praise of his glory. He elected to salvation. Certain representatives, Recipients, thank you, of eternal life and all spiritual blessing. There's a particular slide here. I think it's slide 14. We just have a look at that one. I just want to sum up a lot of this chapter. Uh, that must not be the one. I think it was slide 14 with that. Slide 14, that's it. Just, if you can find slide 14. This will summarise the chapter for you. It's a chapter immensely about the blessing of God that's bestowed towards us. Absolutely phenomenal, absolutely amazing. It speaks in verses three to six of this chapter of our spiritual inheritance. Look at that. Look, that's amazing. Seven to 12, celebrating the work of Jesus Christ. And we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then us working with God and God working in us. Their spiritual inheritance, blessings, enablement, revelation, and authority. This is the best way I can summarise Ephesians chapter 1. Surely when I look at that, I just go, wow. This is truly amazing. God, you're amazing. I have a spiritual inheritance. I have been called, I'm partaker of spiritual blessing because of Christ. I get to celebrate the work of Christ. We're celebrating at Easter. This very thing, this spiritual blessing of salvation 
enablement where the Holy Spirit comes upon us now and in the future and he enables us and he helps us to grow. It's amazing. Look at verses 15 to 18, spiritual revelation reveals to us God's work is perfecting and performing his ministry through us. And the last, we, as we read in the close of this book, speaks of spiritual authority, the manifestation of God's divine power working in us, demonstrating his divine power. I think if we remember anything, if we can remember this, just remember this. <laughs> spiritual worthiness. Spiritual worthiness. This whole chapter says that you are worthy because of Jesus, because God chose you in advance. He called out your name before you were even born. He saw you and said, I'm going to call you. And the offer was made. And you decided. And I decided. Absolutely amazing. You look at that, I just think, wow. I sometimes to myself, I think, I, I just can't believe how blessed I am. Even when I don't feel blessed. When I don't feel like there's ooze of joy or the stuff we're sorting out in our lives. When I look at this, I go, wow. Why are you saying this to us, Paul? What is your message here, Holy Spirit? Why are you wanting the church to know this for? This is powerful. It really hones in the idea that the gospel is incredible news. It's the most amazing news. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. We look at verse 13, it says, and you also were included with Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? A deposit. When we've gone to, when we had to, we purchased our house or our houses or our car, when we've had to purchase something, sometimes it can be even clothes and you want that thing and there's a good chance that may be the last one or it's a particular item that you want. You know, we pay a deposit. Sometimes you can even do lay-by. Just saying. Now there's all these other ways you can do things. But a deposit means that you are committed to this. It means you are going to follow through on it. You're not wanting to lose anything from this. And when we look at the seal, the mark of the promised Holy Spirit, here's a few thoughts. It speaks of a seal of ownership. An impression is made on a soft surface such as clay or wax. Kings and other dignitaries, treasury people would have and carry the seal. And when they had the seal, it was whatever they intended it to be, that only that person could open it. And it was proof that no one else opened it. No one else could see what was in there. It was a sign of intentionality. We read that just here in verse 13. You were marked with a seal, a promise, mark of intentionality. It was a sign of complete transaction. Jeremiah 23, 9 and 10 speak into that. It was a mark of intimacy. And Song of Solomon 8, 6 speaks into that. 
It was a sign or a mark of ownership. Second Timothy 2.9 speaks again into that. It was a sign of God uh, preservation of the elect in certain, made certain by divine seal, pardon me, a seal of security. And if we look at Revelation, there's only one who's allowed to touch the seals and open the seal. That's Jesus Christ. Salvation is the work of the Godhead. And since Paul starts to conclude with this chapter, because when we get this, everything else settles. All the confusion, I hope, will dissipate. And what we'll learn today is how good God is. How good. There's a lot more in this, but for time, I want to close on that. We'll come back to some of these thoughts throughout the book. But this is to encourage us how to live. Like